The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. I hope you guys are doing good. Everybody doing okay? Good? All right. Um, I know that there may be some focus for some folks of some stuff that's happening uh, later this afternoon, um, which would be membership class right after church, right? For that, Right? Remember that. Today after service, if you signed up for membership class, and then supposedly something's happening after that that has something to do where the Bible has like 43 verses about eagles in it. So um, just thought I'd throw that out there. Hey, listen, as they're passing the bag, I'd like you for you uh, to grab your Bibles, if you would, and go to Acts 2 with me. Um, I'm going to read for you a passage that I have uh, Talked about, preached about often, just to get us started today. Um, and you guys can uh, follow along here. Just go down to Acts 2. This chapter is uh, the chapter of the birthday of the church. And uh, down in verse, uh, starting in verse 42, right after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, these are the things that we see uh, these believers doing, the little church family there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So these were the things that the very first church was doing right when the very first church got started. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on that day, this is the life they began to live. Where they were listening to the apostles' teaching and they were devoted to it. Which means it wasn't just that they sat in chairs, listened to a preacher and went home or to a Super Bowl party. But that they actually listened and being devoted to it was that they were putting it into practice. That they were doing these things and that they were dedicated to fellowship. They were to having a good time, to enjoying each other, to doing life together. That they were crazy sacrificially generous to each other. Where they would even sell their things to help each other out and to take care of one another. That they were committed to worship. Where it says when there's the breaking breaking of bread and prayer there. It's talking about taking communion and praying together. About worshiping together. And that the Lord was moving uh, in their midst. So here, if you'll just humor me for a second here, since we, uh, one of the things that the church is supposed to be committed to is fellowship and caring for one another, uh, I just want you to take a second, if you will, and uh, just tell your neighbor that you're glad to see him this morning. Make sure you know their name and say hey to him, if you would. Just say, do you know how to get up? Just... I love it. I love it. All right, gang. I love the fact that this is liberty. You can even tell people not to get up and they do it anyway. 
That's it. <laughs> hey, I will take it. There you go. Thank you, Miss Tracy. Love you, girl. I hope you get a chance to say hey to somebody that you're sitting next to. If we're supposed to be the church and be a family, it's pretty weird if you don't know the people that live in your house. So I figured it'd be pretty good to say hey to them. Listen, when I read this portion of Scripture here, and it's one of the reasons I just love it so much, it's always a reminder to me of what we're supposed to be about. Um, it's interesting, when Jesus tells the disciples uh, there at the end of Matthew that their commission is to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them. That Acts 2, 42-48 is really the way that it was going to get done. We think that we got to work it up and go do a bunch of hard preaching wherever. And listen, and proclaiming the word's important, right? I mean, for them to be dedicated to the apostles' teaching, teaching had to be done. So proclaiming the word was important. But being committed to fellowship and taking care of one another, being outrageously generous, right? Those were the ways that that commission were going to get done. This, this is, and when I read this chapter of Scripture, it reminds me how much I love this church. When I read this chapter, I think about this fellowship. For 44 years back here in Collington, this church has been loving well and loving people. And that there have been people who have just outrageously given, crazy giving to one another when they were in need. And it's a church that's committed to worship. And that over and over, I know that the, the pastors and elders and leaders here, you, you see people all the time being committed to one another and working on putting into practice the things that they're learning. This chapter reminds me of this fellowship. Not that we're perfect. I mean, uh, there's really no such thing as perfect churches because they have people in them. And, uh, right? And if you read, the, you know, read about the church in Corinth, in First and Second Corinthians, it'll, you know, it'll help you feel better about this church that you're in, for sure. And, uh, but they were doing these things, that we get to do these things. And, and did you know that this has been the story for me in this, this fellowship that I came here on staff seven years ago, um, came in as the worship pastor and the administrative guy, and, uh, um, but that was not the beginning of my journey with this fellowship. And about 1980, 81, I came out here and spent a week or two in the summer with uh, Faye Nelson and Cliff Ann Perry. And Faye's our missions coordinator here. And, um, and uh, that began a 10-year journey for me, or more, of spending summers living out here and traveling with them and being discipled into ministry. And this church, this fellowship, was already having a fingerprint on my life. I remember this church when it had orange carpet. Anybody else in the house? And uh, when there was the scripture on the wall, right? My dad got involved in this church a good number of years ago and came down and began to preach here. And so that was having an impact on my life and our family. And then he became an elder here, even though he didn't live here. He was the traveling elder, speaking into the life of the body. And then ultimately he became one of the pastors here, serving. And so this fellowship has been having that kind of loving well impact on my life since I was a little guy. And I know that's true for many of you. And it's not just my personal life. When I think about the missions that we do around the world and the really thousands upon thousands of people that have been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this fellowship being like this church in Acts chapter 2. And I think about the folks who just got back from Cuba last week down there ministering and pouring out the gospel. I think about 130 kids out here last Thursday night around a bonfire. Not just hearing the gospel, but 
there were students sharing their testimonies with one another, as they called them nuggets. They were given nuggets last Thursday night. And I think about the children's ministry or the 18 or so guys that were here over the weekend for a Mark men's retreat or the explosion of women at the well that's happened over the last year with, with women from all over the community and a young adult group that's been meeting on Tuesday nights where we have over 40 young adults gathering and studying the Bible together and worshiping together. And here's what's crazy. We're in a season out here in the Outer Banks, right? And it's been way for a long time. We don't have a large university out here. We do have COA, and that's awesome. We love COA. But for a lot of young adults, they just kind of graduate high school, go to work, and they don't leave. And we know that in the winters out here, there's always not a lot of good things to do. And we know that heroin is a big issue out here and some things like that. But in the midst of what that looks really difficult for young adults out here, we've got 40 or so young adults here that are pressing into the Lord and encountering God. The cool thing is they're not all from this church. They're from various churches gathering together here at Liberty to learn and grow. And all of them have a circle of friends. So it's not just 40. It's larger than that. This church just reminds me of the church in Jerusalem here in Acts 2. And it excites me when I think about it and what the Lord has in store for us in the days ahead. And so when I was praying and getting ready for today, um, I was reminded of my first Sunday here on staff uh, seven years ago. If if you know my dad, Pastor John, he, uh, um, we, we giggle about it that whenever dad gets to preach, I mean, he just kind of does whatever he's going to do. Dad just does does what dad does. And so when we preach in a sermon series, like we got a series of things we want to go through uh, in our teaching, um, dad's just going to kind of do whatever he's going to do. And it's always awesome, right? I mean, it's always great, but uh, it's just fun. You just never know for sure what you're going to get. Even if you tell him to preach on something, it's awesome. And, uh, and he does a killer job. But the other thing dad does not do, aside from he really doesn't typically preach in sermon series, uh, is he doesn't, uh, he doesn't alliterate with his points. And typically he doesn't always have necessarily a lot of points. He just talks about Jesus, right? But my first Sunday here, uh, he got up in the pulpit and he goes, I'm going to do a series over the next two weeks on values, vision, and vehicles. Three points, all starting with the same letter. I about fell out of my chair. I've known that guy a long time, and I've never heard him do that. Ever. But what that did for us is it started a journey for us of being able to begin to uh, put some language on what this church has always done well. And so that we can begin this next phase where the Lord is unfolding things, where we're building into the next things that the Lord is taking us into. Values. One of the things that Dad said on that Sunday that was just so impactful for me is because so many churches talk about vision. What's your vision for this? What's your vision for that? We have a big vision for this. And listen, vision's important. But he said this. He said that values are more important than vision. The reason values are more important than vision is if you see the right things— If you value the right things, you'll see the right things. If you value the wrong things, you're going to see the wrong things. You're going to want to acquire the wrong things. You're going to participate in the wrong things, right? I mean, we can look at our society out here as a whole and say there's a values issue. Yes? Amen to that. And so what is very important is that we get God's values. Because when we begin to have God's values, we can see what God sees. Are we we okay? All right, I want you to look with me, if you will, flip over to 2 Corinthians 5. I want to just read a little section of Scripture to you. Values. 
Seeing what God sees. Having God's heart. Look down at verse 13 with me of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. It says this. And this is Paul speaking. The Apostle Paul. And he says, If we are out of our mind, as some say, <laughs> Liberty's been accused of being crazy a few times over the years. As some say. It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one or see no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we once saw Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Such an awesome passage of scripture. So here's the deal. When we give our life to Jesus, when we become a follower of Christ, we get a new heart. Christ takes up residence in us. When we become followers of Jesus, God comes and takes up residence and lives in us. Amen? We get his life. Isaiah tells us that, that the time was coming, it was a prophecy at that point, that God would take the heart of stone out of us and put a heart of flesh in us. That we were dead and now we are alive. That what we are now has never existed before. So God doesn't just take your beat up heart, your hurt heart or whatever and stick a band-aid on it. Or dust it off. But he actually gives you something that's never existed before. A brand new heart. A new creation. So what that new thing is, is it's the Father's heart. It's God living in you now. As a new creation. Are we okay? Okay. So now what lives in us then can produce in us the Father's values. If we have the Father's heart because the Father lives in us now because we're followers of Christ. Then we can begin to see his values worked out and fleshed out in our life. In, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, we know kind of what that looks like, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? Is that all nine? Did we get those? Okay. That those things can begin to be worked out in our life. So when we have the Father's heart, we can begin to have the Father's values. Then we can begin to see what the Father sees. It's so important for us because so many of us, and I know some of us in here today, you're looking at your circumstances or you look at that person that stares you in the mirror in the morning and you're seeing things from a different set of values. But what you really need to do is see that stuff from the way God sees it. Because often when we're in the middle of our circumstances, we just see hopelessness or we see brokenness or we see there's no way out or we see I'm not worth much or some people think, think more highly of themselves than they ought, as the scripture says, right? And uh, some people are thinking of themselves in a way where they're all dependent on themselves. And what they need to see is they need to see what the Father sees. Because there's no, when, when you look from God's perspective, there's no such thing as ho no, hopeless people. There's no such thing as hopeless circumstances. Right? There's not. And what you're really looking for in the middle of all your stuff is Jesus. He's there. 
And sometimes we totally miss it because we're just looking for the resolution of our circumstances. We're really not looking for him. Silence. All right. I know that's heavy. Sorry for some of you. In the natural, it may not get better. Sometimes it doesn't. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there. And that he won't do transformational work in you and through you. And either way, he's either going to change you, he's going to change your circumstances, or he's going to change both. But either way, it's going to be amazing. And the issue is to be where he is, right? I was telling the first service this morning that when we, when we look to where Jesus is in the middle of our stuff, we can begin to see what God is seeing in the middle of our stuff. And that's where hope is found. And that's where deliverance is found and peace is found, is where he is. Are we okay? So values are important. We value what God values and then we can see what God sees. And that began a journey for us when dad uh, shared that to where we spent, um, Pastor Jamie and I and dad spent about three months praying and writing on a whiteboard just different values and, and words on what this church has always been and what God's been doing in this church. And then we got together with the elders and submitted that stuff together. And out of that was birthed this statement. Language on what this church has kind of really always been. Liberty exists to love God and love people in this hurting world so that they'll receive the Father's heart, have their identity in Christ, and walk in right relationships. Those three values, you'll see that stuff in and around and through all of our stuff here. That we want people to receive the Father's heart. The Father's heart is that all the children would come home. That's what Scripture says, right? That we want to have God's heart for us. We want to have God's heart for other people. We want people to receive God's heart. When people receive God's heart, the discovery they make is that they become a son or daughter of the Most High God. That's good news. Because so many people think that they'll never be any more than their dad. Or they think that they're exactly what their dad called them when they were little. Or so many people think that who they are is based on all the junk they own. Or all the stuff they want to own someday. Or the position that they hold. And all that stuff works really good for you until it doesn't anymore. When you run out of money or somebody gets promoted over you. Or you fail. But when you receive the Father's heart, you make the discovery that you're God's kid. Nobody can take that for you, from you. And all of a sudden, your identity is no longer based on what you have or who you know or whatever. It's based on His approval of you and how He sees you and that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And now, when we have that identity firmly rooted in Christ, that we're His kids, then we can learn to walk in right relationships. And Dad, Pastor John, says this. That you're never more rightly related to somebody than you are when you're serving them or washing their feet. That walking in right relationships is about righteousness. That Jesus puts us right with the Father so that we in turn discover our, our, our identity as sons and daughters. That we're rightly related within ourselves. And then we can begin to love others as we've been loved first. We can begin to serve other people. That is the heart cry of this fellowship. Now, all of that's well and good and wonderful. And it's transformational, but it's got to look like something, right? So now that we've kind of established this whole thing about for us what values are for this fellowship back here in Collington, we want to see what God sees. And we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what we believe in the coming seasons, what God sees for this fellowship. 
the we sees, if you will. So if you're writing some things down, I'm going to just read these to you real quick. And we're going to talk about one of them a little bit today. And then we're going to unfold this over the coming weeks. Now, last year we ran the numbers. And the average person at Liberty comes to church 2.3 times a month. Which means they come two Sundays and part of another one, I guess. I don't know how that works. But that's the average number. I just want to encourage you to make a commitment for the next five. Okay? And walk through this with us. Because we're walking through this together. Amen? What does it look like? What is the vision that unfolds from those values? First one. We see a sanctuary full of passionate worshipers, free and unhindered. Get a little taste of that this morning, amen? amen? We see a sanctuary full of passionate worshipers, free and unhindered. The next one is, we see teaching and preaching that is grounded in the Word of God, Spirit-led and full of the Father's heart. We see teaching and preaching that's grounded in the Word, Spirit-led and full of the Father's heart. We see a place where home equals revival and revival equals home. Home is what revival looks like. Home is what revival looks like. We pull that out of Luke 15 where we have the story of the prodigal son where he has been off in a far off land and lived a wild life and squandered uh, his inheritance. And then finally in a broken place has the realization to go home. And when he goes home, the father meets him on the road and speaks identity to him and reestablishes him in terms of his place in the home and walks him home to his place in the house, to inheritance and life and family. And that it's a place where he again can be fathered and people raised up to be mothers and fathers in the faith. And it's a place where there is even an older brother, if you remember the story, who's got a little attitude problem in the story But that, as the father says to him at the end of that story, my son, everything I've had has always been yours. This place where even those of us that need attitude adjustments from time to time, which would be all of us, um, that there's a place for us where we can grow and mature in Christ. Amen? That's what revival really looks like. We see a place where the hurting, the broken, and addicted know that they belong and are set free. We see a place where the hurting, the broken, and the addicted know that they belong and are set free. And we see a place where we flesh out and live out these three values. We live it out in the house. We're going to flesh out and live out these three values. So today, I want us just to kind of begin this journey together for a few minutes on this idea of seeing a sanctuary full of passionate worshipers free and unhindered. Now, when somebody mentions worship, and I'm a worship pastor by trade for years and years, Um, the first thing that comes to mind are the songs we sing, right? I mean, when somebody says worship, well, man, it was good worship today, or love the worship at that church, or have you heard this worship song? We tend to think about music, right? And rightly so. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Um, from the very beginning, this fellowship, and I've got some folks who've been here since the beginning of this fellowship, this is a church that sings, and this is a church that worships. It's always been that place, Amen. And you'll remember songs, I was mentioning um, Cliff Neal, who's gone on to be with the Lord, but was uh, a worship leader in this church for years over seasons. And often, and not just at Christmas, he would come back to one of his favorites and sing, Oh, come let us adore him. You remember that? 
Some of you guys, that was just something that stirred in his heart. Or maybe the other ones of, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Or another one I didn't mention in the first service. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul. You remember that one? This has always been a church that worships and sings. I want to give you a quote this morning from John Piper, who has this just incredible quote about the fact that God's people sing. Listen to this. Throughout the Bible, God's people, saved by His grace, because of His love, sing. It's never been exclusive to the talented, or the trained, or female, or male. No, it's part of being human, and it's part of being Christian. When God rescued you, He became your song. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord my God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Psalm chapter 5, uh, uh, Psalm 5 uh, verse 11 says this, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing ever for joy. And spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. First Chronicles 16, verse 9, verse 23. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wonderful works. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. And just in case you think it's just an Old Testament thing, two very strong commands are found in Colossians 3.16 and also Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As a matter of fact, the Bible contains 400 references to singing. And over 50 of them are direct commands to do it. Uh, we have the longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms, and it's a song book. You have the book of Revelation, which some scholars call it the Psalms of the New Testament, or the songs of the New Testament because of the prose that it's written in. And Mary found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, carrying the Savior in her tummy, her reaction is to sing. She breaks out in song because of what God's done. So the deal is, when we gather together, or when we're in the secret place with the Lord, or we're in the car bebopping down the bypass, God's people sing. But worship is more than just song. It's part of it. But it's not all of it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I urge you, I beg of you, is what he's saying. In view of what God's done, that he died on the cross for us when he paid the price that was our price to pay. It was mercy. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, your whole life, everything you are, as a living sacrifice to the Lord, which is your spiritual act of worship. So it's not just singing, but it is singing because that's part of your life because it's supposed to be. But it's all of your life offered to the Lord is an act of worship. So see, church was never meant to be part of your life. Jesus was never meant to be part of your life. It's not a little private faith. See, if we're in Christ, we don't have private faith. You don't, not if you have Jesus. Because sometimes you're in public and if Jesus is in you, then Jesus is in public with you. It's not a private faith. It's all of your life to the Lord. It's more than just song. So singing together to God is part of worship, but it's more, it is a people who have encountered God 
And in view of all that God has done, they give all of their lives to him. Okay? And Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 is one of my also favorite scriptures says this. Colossians 3 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, everything you say, everything you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I heard uh, Louis Giglio, who was a uh, um, a minister and evangelist and uh, kind of the founder of the Passion Movement conferences and stuff. I heard him share one time about, well, what if God calls you to be a fashion designer? How do you make jeans in Jesus' name is what he said. <laughs> when you're in the grocery store and you're checking out with all your groceries, how do you check out with groceries in Jesus' name? How do you discipline your children in Jesus' name? How do you, in whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God? Do you have to, like, say, in Jesus' name every time you do it? Right? How does that look? What well, has everything to do with a life that's devoted to Him, and if we reference this back to Acts 2, 42 through 47, I think we get a snapshot. Because some of you guys are doing Super Bowl parties this afternoon, are we not? Some of you, Right? I told somebody earlier, if the Patriots are winning, I'm going to take a nap. If the Eagles are winning, it'll be worth watching. Um, just saying. That may not be some of you. That's okay. I'm just supporting Nancy Battentine, wherever she is in here today. But um, <laughs> uh, that, that's fellowship if you're doing that with people. And if you look in Acts chapter 2, it said they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Wow. So all of a sudden, enjoying yourself with a God new life heart that God lives in you, and enjoying yourself with people with love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, then that's a God thing, right? So the fellowship at the Super Bowl party is a God thing. Worship passionate when you're singing in church with all of your heart. It's a God thing. You know, checking out in the grocery line, even when the line is long, and maybe the per checkout person isn't getting it all right, but you love on them anyway and encourage them is a godly way to do that, right? All of a sudden, it's an opportunity for an encounter. One of the things that we've got to work on and we've got to adjust as the family of God is to never just show up with the same old, same old. Because if Jesus is everywhere, and if you're a follower of Christ, he's everywhere you are because he lives in you. So, I mean, you know, you can't show up without him. You can ignore him, but you can't show up without him. Then everywhere you go is an opportunity for an encounter with God. And so whenever we just show up with less than an expectation of an encounter of God, we miss him even though he's there. So that we can show up at any church, whether it is of your musical taste or preaching taste or not. You can show up at a church and I'm going to tell you from time to time, people say, well, nobody greeted me and so I'm just not going back. They weren't very friendly. Well, listen, we do try to work on that as best we can. That's why we have greeters at the door. That's why, like this morning, getting all y'all to say hey to each other. But, you know, and you can be proactive and say hey first to somebody, right? I mean, we can do that. But you know what, though? Regardless, that doesn't have to rob you of an encounter with God. Because if you'll show up with an expectation to have an encounter with God, you can have an encounter with God. Whether you're in the grocery store line whether you're tucking your kids in at night, whether you're driving down the bypass, or whether you're at a Super Bowl party, if you'll show up just expecting to have an encounter with God, you're likely to have an encounter with God. Especially as a follower of Christ, because He lives in you. 
Expectation. Expectation breeds a life of worship. So worship is not about duty or obligation. It is the only reasonable response to God and who he is and what he's done because he loves us so much. The worship is really, a life of worship is just an overflow of an encounter. So look, we began today with Acts 2, 42 through 47, and that's kind of what the church was looking like and what they were doing. Over in Acts 3, which is the next verse, after verse 47, over in the next verse, we have Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. They encounter this guy begging at the gate. Now this encounter that Peter and John have takes place during this season of Acts 2, 42 through 47. Sometimes when we read scripture, it's like, okay, there's this story over here and this story over there. And then even though some things are like right next to each other in scripture, we kind of separate them out. But Peter and John going up to the temple is a response to the impouring of the Holy Spirit, their encounter with God, and they're going up to the temple to pray because they've encountered God and they want to go pray with people. That's taking place during this time. This encounter they have with this man, lame man, begging at the gate takes place during this season of them outrageously giving to one another and miraculous signs were being performed by the apostles. This is happening in that time, okay? And it's out of the encounter that they've had that this takes place. So I want to just read this to you, um, starting with verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At 3 in the afternoon, I told the first service, that'll be the next service we start. We'll be at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. You know, (laughs) or grabbed me in the first service when I was reading this passage. How often do we walk past people in need and we look away, we don't look at? Right? We miss encounters. We miss opportunities to encounter Jesus. I I was in the grocery store um, uh, a number of days back, and uh, late in the evening after here, it was either after a Friday night service or after the uh, the conference on Friday night, and stopped by the grocery store on the way home, and there was a lady standing in line that was on the phone, and uh, and she was crying while she was on the phone. I walked past. You ever walk past people that, you know, are having a hard time in public? I have. You have. I did. And so I walked past, and after I walked past, the Lord kind of grabbed my heart, and I turned around and walked over to her, and she was chatting on the phone. She was crying. And I had this opportunity to have just a brief exchange with her to encourage her. I don't know what God did. I have no idea what was happening on the other end of the phone. You know how often we're more interested in what, interested in what the problem is than we really are having an encounter with God with them? We want to know the dirt. When in reality... It's not my right to know the dirt, right? That's that dark place in me that wants to know the details. When in reality, I just need to love the person that I encounter. And the truth is, likely, we don't have what they need in terms of the natural, in terms of what they're looking for. So we don't have what they're looking for. But if we have Christ living in us, we have everything that they need. Are are we okay? And so in that moment... This is what happened for these guys. This guy's asking for money from them, and they don't have any. Look straight at him. That's what it says. Look at us. I love that. 
So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something in return or something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. I told the first service, how many of you remember the song? Right? Because that's when it kicks in. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the, uh, into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. <laughs> Some of you guys remember that. I love it. Praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So these guys are going to the temple court to pray because they had encountered God. They loved God. Now, because they loved God and they had encountered God, these guys are expecting encounters wherever they go. Because if they weren't expecting an encounter, they would have ignored this guy on the side of the road. The reason they looked at this guy and then they offered Jesus to this guy is because they were expecting that Jesus would do something with this guy. And they loved this guy right where they found him, right? They loved him. They loved him enough to pay attention to a beggar that people walk by all the time. So they're loving God and they're loving this guy in a hurting world and expecting an encounter. And what I love is when they do that, an encounter happens. This guy has an encounter. So they've had an encounter. They're expecting an encounter. Now they facilitated an encounter with somebody that they've run into. And then this guy gets transformed. Now his response is worship. His response is to worship at what God has done. If I get the band to just come on up, because we're going to close in just a little bit of worship today. In verse 12, the disciples say this statement that I love. The people are like, wow. Look at verse 12. The people are like, man, look at that. And the disciples go, why does this surprise you? That's what it says there. Why does this surprise you? Why are we surprised? He died for the sins of the whole world and conquered death, hell, and the grave. That's a pretty good party trick to come back from the dead. Why are we surprised that when we've encountered God and we begin to walk out and expect encounters and facilitate encounters and share the love of Jesus with people like Acts 42 through 47, why would we be surprised that we would see God do more things? So then the opportunity arises because they're captured by the fact that God did something with this guy. And you read it there in verses 13 through 15. They share the gospel. They share Jesus with these people. So we gather around the name of Jesus and with the people called by that name. Do you know that? If you're in Christ, you have the family name. It's child of God. You have the family name. So when we gather together in that name with an expectation of him and encounter him, Expectation leads to encounter. Encounter leads to a life of worship. It's just that flow for us. So when we say we want to see this place full of people and spilling out into the community of passionate worshipers, free and unhindered, is that we are people who are looking for encounters with God because God has encountered us. We've encountered him. And therefore, everybody we meet is an opportunity for an encounter with God. So you guys might be having some Holy Ghost Super Bowl parties this afternoon, right? Right? No, seriously. I'm not saying it's got to turn into a church meeting, but you might come away encouraged knowing that you've got people that walk with you in life. That's part of an encounter, right? I want you to stir that up in your heart in these days. We're not just trying to make it through. 
we're unfolding the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's what we get to do. Let's stand together this morning. And I'd like, if you would, to do an act of faith with me if you would stand today. Just close your eyes, if you would, with me. It makes it hard to leave if your eyes are closed. <laughs> close your eyes with me, if you will. And then no matter, however this works for you, okay? Because, you know, we got different types of hand raisers in the house, right? However this works for you. If you would just put your hands out, whether it's in front of you or by your waist, above your head, however it is for you that that is, just close your eyes. That way you don't feel too weird about it. <laughs> and what we want to do is say, Lord, we're expecting an encounter with you. But all the more than that, we want to become the people that are facilitating encounters everywhere we go. That we would see the whole of the Outer Banks walking and leaping and praising God. And it's because of the grocery line or the Super Bowl party or tucking our kids in or down the bypass. That it's not just singing songs, but it's lives lived as sacrifices to you. So we're going to sing this song. There's a few verses now. I'm going to come up in just a minute and close us. And I just want to encourage you just to take a moment and just sing to the Lord as we get ready to go today. That we're making this commitment together as passionate and unhindered worshipers to be people of encounter. Amen?